Welcome to Disrupt Equities Apartment Investing Podcast. This podcast will offer weekly episodes equipping passive and active investors alike with the tools, knowledge, and confidence to build wealth through one of the most powerful wealth creation vehicles out there, apartments. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back, Money Mondays. We are back after a very long trip. Where'd we go? We went to Atlanta. What'd we do? Infant conference. We had our conference, Ooh. and we did our company corporate annual planning as well. So we're back. We're not quite rejuvenated, but we know what the company is <laughs> well, doing for the coffee. next year. Where's my coffee at? We're well, like a, things have been so coffee. hectic, we didn't even get to get our typical Starbucks. So I instead, know. we went for fake bucks, and that's about what we're getting to use today. So. Uh, uh, but we are excited to be back here, folks, yeah. for Money Mondays. We do this every Monday at 3.30 Central. We rushed back from the conference just to make it back just in time. So we had a good time in Atlanta, though. So, viewers. you know, the conference, we had... What, 400 people out there? About 400 people. Out. You know, a lot of great feedback. Really uh, good, good panelists, good speakers, a lot of great networking. I mean, uh, you know, our event is a one-day event for people that have been there, people that haven't, right? You know, we typically put on a one-day event. It's MFIN. Next one's going to be in Houston. What's the date? Uh, February 11th, 12th, that's, that Saturday. That's 11th. It's 11th. February 11th. One of those two. So we'll talk about that later in When's the show. When's the next one after that going to be, Ben? It's going to be in July. July what? 22nd. There Ooh, you go. I got it. So it was close. We got them all figured out for next year, folks. So look forward to hopefully seeing you guys there. And we'll share a little bit more about the Houston conference coming up here at the end of this uh, of this Monday Monday days. So what are we talking about today, man? Talking about the most common underwriting mistakes in the multifamily world, not the Ooh, ecosystem, the whole world, the so whole entire we've world. We've done a lot of underwriting Been in our crazy. days, and you know, happy to share some of that. So yeah. first, before we get going, what is underwriting, Ben? So a lot, and this is I'm I'm glad that we're actually starting here because a lot of people do kind of have a little bit of misconceptions about what underwriting is. You're essentially taking the financials, the past financials that you can get from the property. You're getting a rent roll. What's a rent roll? A rent roll is just a, a roster of all the tenants and when they moved in and what their uh, what their rent is and when they're going to be moving out, right? You want to obviously have good, accurate data there. You're taking that all together and you're putting it into your spreadsheet to determine, okay, what's, what's it currently looking like, right? Is it making any money? Is it not making any money? Where can I put uh, money into the property to improve the operations, right? Get rent up. And then you're doing a pro forma projection out. Typically, we've seen it anywhere from a year to 10 years out. And there's a lot of spreadsheets out there. Obviously, message us. You know, we, we use various ones for various reasons. Michael Blanc has a great one. It's 97 bucks. Go check that one out. I'll just go ahead and give him a, um, Maybe a little. I wonder if it's gone up due to inflation. It might be. I don't know. Inflation's, inflation inflation's a killer here. But um, anyway, whenever we bought it a long time ago, it was 97 bucks. But anyway, so check that out. And you're essentially, what you're trying to determine is, based on what your investors are going to expect in terms of returns, does that? deal hit that box. Yeah, so underwriting, right? whether it's real estate or something else, it's really a fancy way to say smart analysis, yes. right? Whether it's a lender underwriting you, whether it's you underwriting a deal, whether it's an insurance company underwriting you, right? It's underwriting really just means sophisticated analysis. That's how I like to maybe explain it. Yeah, I'm so, I haven't heard it that way, but that's, yeah. I mean, I think that's, yeah, you're analyzing, is this a good deal or not? Actually, I'm right? and the, the only official way, definition, really sign Webster's, and Webster's? accept liability <laughs> under... Thus guaranteeing payment in case of loss or damage. Uh, Here it is. Uh, I don't like any of these answers actually. All right, we're gonna we're gonna nix Webster. 
didn't have a great definition, and that's why it's a little bit of a, a black box for some all folks. All right, here it is. I found it. Here's the one. All right, Underwriting all right. is the process through which an individual or institution takes on financial risk for a fee. Yeah, I guess, and you're looking at it from this yeah. perspective, right? You know, if your returns are lower and the amount of work that you have to put into it, the risk adjusted, it's just, there's a lot of risk there, right? And you have to determine, is this deal going to be worth your time, your effort, and the risk that you're taking on to be successful, right? And so, obviously, the higher the returns, the better the deal, supposedly, right? You know, and so you have to di- you have to dive into the, into the numbers, folks. So even if you're getting into it, even if you want to be passive, right? You don't want to be like us. You don't want to be buying deals. You don't want to be managing deals. You have no desire to do that. I still suggest people get comfortable underwriting deals because... Because it's so important to understand, you know, it, it is, are these assumptions aggressive, right? Are they even realistic at all in that market, right? You know, somebody could say, hey, payroll's a thousand bucks a month. And I'm just going to tell you, no, it's not. It's a lot more than that. Or a thousand dollars a unit, excuse me. You know, it it's more I'm like in another country. Yeah, if you're in another country, <laughs> if you're in another country, then yes. But realistically, it's gone up quite a bit over the last 10 years, and now anywhere from yeah, 1500 so, to 2000 per so year. So you're assessing right? risk, assessing yes. risk of an entire deal, assessing risk with your assumptions, right? Maybe you think you can get 1250 payroll. There's a risk that you might not be able to, right, with yeah. inflation, all that. But again, if you're comfortable with that level of risk, great. But underwriting is really about understanding it and making your decisions based yeah, on that. Yeah, maybe your property management company comes back and says, you know what, you're being way aggressive on this, this, and this, and this. You pop that into your spreadsheet, now the deal doesn't look as good, right? I've also seen it on the flip side, right? Where they're gonna say, hey, I think I can get more rents than what you're projecting. That's good. So what's happening is you're getting this financial data from a broker or a real estate agent, and you're putting that into your spreadsheet and you're doing your, your financial projections into the future. And you're determining, do these returns make sense for me to move forward with the project, right? And then obviously you're getting validation throughout the process from your property management company and your insurance provider. And you're gonna find out what your, what your lender is, is prepared to loan you on the deal as well. And so you're validating and you're massaging and figuring all that out throughout the process and then boom, this is what it is. And then that's what you present to your investors. Yeah. And so just right? to recap, right, we're not going to teach you how to underwrite. That's no, not for no, this no, show. No. We can't do it right. for a 30 minutes. You're basically looking at your debt. You're looking at your rents. You're looking at your expenses, yeah. combining it all together to understand what your risk profile looks like and what your return profile looks like. So that said, what would you say some red flags are, you yeah. know, with multifamily underwriting specifically, right? What would you Yeah, we'll stick, them, we'll, t- we'll stick to multifamily, right? You know, I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors in our business and we're not here to name names or call anybody out, right? That's not the type of people that we are, but you just have to be careful, right? You know, some people are in it for fees. Some people aren't in it for the long run. They don't care if they just put whatever number down on an underwriting and and then present that to an investor. So some of the red flags that, that we've seen, we've looked at deals too as LPs, is mainly one of the ones that people really, really smoke is going to be the reversion cap. And so, what is the reversion cap rate? Well, you have a going in cap rate. We've talked about this on the show. And if you have, uh, if you don't know what cap rate is, check out other episodes. Episode number yes. what? I have, I have no, no idea. idea. We've talked about so it on so many shows. Like, that, yeah. you know, but you can find a definition if you don't want to go look through all of our shows. There's a there's definitions online, right? But there's also a cap rate when you go to sell. Right, and so what we typically will see people do, they'll buy it at, and we're just throwing out numbers, a six cap going in, right? But they're gonna say, well, you know what? I think I could sell it at a four cap, 
right? They have no basis for that it's going to be a four cap in five years. In fact, that's probably way aggressive. Yeah, in and all if it cases, was the flip side, you also don't have a basis either, right? No, if you, you have bought no it idea. four and you, you say have, six, you have no basis either. And, and, and the reason that I'm going to call this out as a red flag, right? You know, because that six could just as easily be an eight, right? The, what you try to do as a syndicator and a person that's putting deals together is you want to not necessarily under-promise and over-deliver, but you want to be conservative in your underwriting, right? So what we typically do is if we're buying it at a six cap, that, and maybe that's the stabilized, what it truly is, there's nothing necessarily distressed about it or off about it, cap rate in that market for that vintage and that asset class, what I'm going to take is anywhere from 10 to 20 basis points per year expansion of that cap rate. So... How, what does that mean? If I'm buying it at a six cap and I'm expanding it by 10 basis points each year, right? And I'm going to hold on to it for five years. That means my reversion cap rate is going to be 6.5, right? Yeah. And the reason that you do that is just to be conservative, right? You're hoping that you sell it at a better yeah, cap rate. Cap rates get better, you know? great. But ultimately, as an operator, right, you're trying to assess how do I get myself into a deal with my investors that we think we can perform on? Yes. Right? And so again, maybe cap rates compress, things look great. But we like to pick on cap rate because it's one of the easiest numbers. It's, it's a very deal. subtle number that's very, really skews the deal heavily, right? Yep. And so again, it's that's why we like to look for deals that are more cash flow heavy because cap rate is, a, you know, it's kind of a finger in the air size yeah. situation. So that's a big red flag that we do um, always look at very quickly. What else do you I got, Yeah, so I got two more, right? So typically you're escalating your rents and you're escalating your expenses, right? What we have seen people do is those escalators, this is typically what we call them in the, in the business, and you're gonna say, what the heck is an escalator? And just say, okay, hey, after year one, I'm gonna continue to increase my rents by 10% each year. If you're doing that, any crappy deal off the street is going to look incredible, folks, right? And as much as I'd love to say that that's gonna continue, and in, and in some markets it has been the case the last two years, that's not gonna be the case moving forward. So you have to be conservative. And the rule of thumb is typically three to 5%, depending on the market, depending on the deal, of rent escalations which, each year. Which really ties into one question that we just got. So. You know, if you're watching this, we, we will take questions live. Please yes. go ahead and ask them. We'll answer them here live. But one question from Omar says, what rent growth do you typically underwrite in hot multifamily markets? And that's a good question, right? As been said, historically, we're in the 2 to 3% rent escalators. Yeah, or Maybe, yeah, you, you know, go year 3 one, to 5. You yeah, know. year one, as we're doing the big value adds, I mean, definitely, it's, you know, more than that, right? And that's very deal specific. Let me, let me, let, but, let's, let's pause there, because I, I didn't even get into that. So this is this is where people need to understand. You're going in and you're, you're increasing rents significantly more than 3 to 5% in year one. Why are you doing that, right? Because typically you're looking for an opportunity where you can push rents organically already, right? Rents are already low. You know, there's something that's that's not allowing them to hit market rents, right? Maybe the operations just aren't great. Property management company sucks. Whatever it might be, it doesn't really matter, right? That's all. That's what your part of your analysis is up front. Now, that's organic rent growth. You're also trying to push rents by putting money into the deal, right? So if you're going to put ten thousand dollars into a unit. My expectation is I'm going to be able to push some rents, right? Because you want a good return on your investment, right? So all of that's going to be, you're going to rack that in year one, right? Then moving forward, it's going to be two, three, you Correct. know, upwards of 5% moving but forward. But then what would you say to answer the question, right, in a hot market, right? I'd say it varies, right? Like it's an Austin, be all I'll, I'll say that. this, we're typically three 
On an Austin market, we're probably four for a few years, right? I mean, you're getting a market that's historically yeah. had 10% from year on year. So maybe you can get away with four and year three, year four, right? You know, so, I think it's... But it, don't bet the deal on that, right? That's no, 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 that's, 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 the, that's the reason why we're including it in red flags. Because I think in a lot of cases, people, that's how they that's how they really juice the returns is that they're, they're pretty aggressive on what they expect to push rents to on a year-over-year basis. And it's just not going to be the case. I would say, to answer your question, Omar, man, I mean, it really depends on the market. It really depends on, you know, housing and supply and demand, right? You know, I mean, a hot market you know, uh, core area where there's just not a lot of opportunity to build stuff. You know, Austin being a perfect example or where they make it very difficult to build. Again, Austin, your rent growth is significant, right? You know, now other markets gonna be a little bit less even in hotter markets, right? But there's not really gonna be a rule of thumb. You're gonna have to, and if you if you struggle with this, your property management company can also help you dial in what that rent growth could potentially be. And there's also Yardi and, and CoStar and Axiometrics uh, reports that you can pull. Obviously a lot of that costs money, but sometimes they will try to do a little thumb in the air as to where the rent growth is gonna be in certain markets, right? So that's, Red flag number two. Red flag number three is going to be keeping vacancy, both on the physical side as well as on the economic side, too low, right? And you're gonna be like, what the heck is all this stuff, right? Well, you're gonna have your gross potential rent, then you're deducting your physical vacancy as well as your economic vacancy. And I've seen on heavy value add deals where people have kept that at 2%. Right, you know, and it's just not possible so when you're turning. So ultimately, if your property is 100% occupied, yeah. what can you bill out? Right, in a perfect world, and then versus reality, what do you collect? And we've seen some deals where people will try to say that's 4% total. Yeah, that's probably not realistic, right? It's probably closer to 10%. Or if you're doing a, you know, a C-class deal, it might be 13%, right? Yeah. Economic vacancy, right? And so that's why it's called economics, not the physical vacancy. Yeah. It's ultimately what is the missed opportunity of cash. On that asset, and let's, right? let's, let's, and it includes you know evictions, delinquency, uh, all of that, right? Down you know. units, uh, rented units to staff, yeah. concessions, all of that goes into that number. So you know, to give you guys an example, right? You're going to bill out a hundred. If your if your property is a hundred percent, you're you've hit your market rents a hundred percent. There's no vacancies. You're collecting a hundred k. Right, you know that is maximum amount that you can collect. That's a perfect world. That's I don't know a if you perfect can get there. world, right? right? You're, you're never, one. you shouldn't really, because you should never be at 100% occupancy in the first place. But, but you've got two percent physical vacancy. Now you're taking two grand off that 100k. Then you got another two percent, right? That you're going to call it economic, which is going to be your loss to lease. You're going to have your bad debt. You're going to have maybe a model unit. Maybe you have a down unit. Maybe you have employee units. Maybe you're providing concessions. All of that gets wrapped into economic, but I'm gonna keep it real, really simple, and I'm gonna keep these low numbers. Call that 2%, that's another two grand. So of that property where you could, if in a perfect world you're collecting 100, now you're only collecting 96,000 bucks, right? So we're seeing people keep those numbers artificially low, but whenever you're putting a ton of money into it, you're, you're turning a lot of units, there's a lot of just flux, those numbers need to be actually a lot bigger. Right, and then the other thing too, what I'm also seeing people do that they smoke the numbers is maybe they're being a little more conservative on the year one, but then they immediately go to that two and two in year two, right? And then it's two and two throughout the the life of the deal. And I think that that's gonna obviously artificially um, fluff up your income numbers. And so therefore those are big red flags. So to recap, look at the reversion cap rates. 
look at the rent escalators and are those, are those aggressive? And then look at the numbers that they're using on the physical and the economic vacancy. I think that those are three big things that people need to pay attention to. If you don't know anything about anything, don't, don't, don't want to underwrite it, don't want, you just at least ask those numbers and you try to validate, do those assumptions seem aggressive? Do they seem conservative? Are they somewhere in the middle? That's what you got to determine, right? Because those numbers alone will will skew a crappy deal to looking like a great deal and vice versa. Absolutely. So let's right? see. So follow-up question from Omar. What are some of your go-to line items that you massage in order for the deal to pencil out to your desired return? We metric? don't like to massage anything. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think that there's, massaging comes as like a negative term, right? But I would say that there's certainly I things like that we- I like getting massages and that's I do like to, to get me, massages. Right? You know, it's but been no. a while, but you know, you can streamline certain things, right? And, I, and even at Infin, we were talking about this. I was on the asset property management panel, right? You know, say you, you, you're looking at the T12 financials, historical financials that you get from your broker, and the deal that you're looking at payroll is 2500 a month. And you know that market, and you know that your property management company can, can run that property at $1,500 a unit. Well, shit. I mean, you could do a deal right there, right? You, that's $1,000 per unit savings in payroll alone, right? So it's not that you shouldn't look for opportunities to streamline expenses. Um, you know, we, again, we talked about this on the panel. I just think you get a lot more juice at looking at the revenue side. Yeah, and right? I was going to say the same thing. I think, yeah. you know, it's typically revenue is where you can get a better bang for your buck. Yes. Spend more energy there. It yes. works better, right? Yep. And, you know, the other thing to add, maybe around massaging, you can always massage your structure, right? That is in your control, right? You can make it a 90-10 split if that's what you really want to do because you need to get a better return profile for your investor. Those are the kind of things where you can start to get more creative on because the deal numbers are what they are, right? You're not yeah. going to be able to drastically change a submarket. You're not going to be able to drastically change a city rents, right? You kind of have a sense of what they are based on the comps. Yeah. Those things are hard to tweak, but you can always play with the structure, right? Adding in pref helps you do what? It helps you move cash flow to IRR. So if you're uh. IRR deficient, you could put in pref and now it pushes the IRR. Wh you can do better splits. You can do a better pref, right? There are different things that you can massage and we've played with these kind of different structures to see and we have. pros and cons. And that's the kind of stuff that you can do to help you hit the Let right Let me return. add one thing though, right? If I see a 90-10 split, that's a big, big, big I, red flag I was going to skip. You I know, don't want to get into I, that. I'm not, not here it. to torch anybody's, you know, but that that feels like it's a really tight deal and the GP is just trying to give enough juice to the LPs to make the deal work, right? You know, just realize what we do. It, it takes a lot of time, effort, and energy to find these deals and manage these deals. You know, 80-20 is typically on the low end of what I would be looking at as an LP. No, absolutely right. Unless there's just something, like it's a development play, there's something different or unique about it. You know, but on a traditional multifamily syndication, C, B, or A asset, you should be looking at 80-20s, right? And you're gonna say, well wait, if I'm an LP, why would I wanna give up more? Again, it's because the only reason that they're actually giving up more is to make the deal work, absolutely. right? You know, so they're trying to give you more ju juice to get it past the seven or eight percent cash on cash threshold or whatever it might be, right? Yeah. You know, otherwise, why are you doing it, right? Yeah. So those are some of the red flags, yeah. right? You so know, Money Mondays are just every Monday, 3.30 Central. If you have comments, questions, thoughts, please go ahead and ask them. We'll answer them live. We did get one from my wife, Noor, saying, oh. what happened to the Starbucks today? Obviously, she tuned in late. She, she missed was the beginning supposed of the to go episode. give me one. I roll in here. It's not here. I don't know. But I'm hopefully, I'm keeping the energy up, folks. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll have it on our next show. Um, all right. So another question that came in before the show. What are factors or what factors should you consider when evaluating an apartment complex for the first time? 
You know, I think it's, I go back to your buy box, right? You know, does the deal, you know, is it the, the right vintage? Is it the right sub-market? Is it the right size that you want to buy in, right? You know, those are some factors that you should be looking at prior to even getting into the financial analysis of the deal, right? And then you have to then, okay, if it hits those boxes, then you should have a return profile. Hey, me and my investors want to hit 7% cash on cash and 14 to 15% IRR. If the deal doesn't pencil into that, then boom, you move on, right? So those are some things that you have to consider right off the bat. And, and don't try to make the numbers work. There's just so many other deals and opportunities out there. You know, it's just not worth it, folks. One more thing from another question from Amanda Larson. Mm-hmm. saying, what about the debt? Any red flags LP should look for? That's absolutely great, great question, right? Yeah. There's, uh, right now, it's choppy. <laughs> and I got, I got, so whatever debt they present, the one thing I will say is understand what your refi looks like, right, as an LP. Yeah, the one thing good. I think a lot of people make a mistake on is say, hey, we're going we're gonna to refi at 70% LTV, right? We're conservative. But that doesn't really underwrite from a lender's perspective, right? Because it needs to be a one, you know, one and a quarter DSCR. Yeah. Of which I need to tell you about a product that I, t- I got told about yesterday on the airplane from the guy sitting next to me. All Special right. Freddy product. But I'll tell you about that offline. But you can go down to one, two DSCR. Um, but ultimately, you know, lender's not going to give you that big of a loan on the refi. So your return profile for investors is going to be reduced. That's a big red flag. And yeah. then I'd say just understand what's required to make that three-year term a 311. And what those triggers yeah, are. Yeah, like loan terms, like that's in, that's important, right? You know, do you if you're if you're still doing a bridge or a floating rate debt, which it can still be done to this day, right? You know, do they have an interest rate cap? We heard a horror story about, or at least I did. I meant, meant to tell you about this over the weekend, and uh, it was a deal here in Texas of some people that we know, and they're going to lose their shirt because they didn't buy an interest rate cap. Oh. And um, what's up? No interest cap at all. No interest Ooh. rate cap. And so what, when you're going to say, what the heck's an interest rate cap? We've talked about it on the show, folks, right? It's essentially a hedge. If your interest rate goes up against it or goes above it, right, it's going to pay off the delta here, right? You know, these folks didn't have any. So you can imagine they went into it thinking that, you know, life was going to be great for the whole period and interest rates were always going to say perpetually at three and a half percent. And now they're at seven and a half. Well, you can imagine how much more in interest they're paying a month and they're just getting annihilated. So they're having to sell, they're having to sell the deal just to get out from underneath it and they're losing about 50% of their equity in the deal which is pretty bad. You know, so you got to look and make sure that people are mitigating risk there too, right? So understanding the refinance and what needs to happen to get that refinance done, how long is the loan term? How long is the hold period really? And then understanding, you know, are they do they have an interest rate cap? No. Yeah. So with that said, that's multifamily underwriting. Those are the kind of, you know, the red flags and things to think mm-hmm. about, right? So all of this impacts the deal, impacts the return profile, and helps you perform or not perform. Yeah. Yeah. So let's keep going then. All right. Let's just keep rolling. So why is it important to consider factors that are behind the numbers? So I think this question is more about, you know, what's the story behind the deal? Right, yeah. you know, maybe maybe there's maybe there's a reason why their income is lower, yeah. right? Maybe there's a reason why the expenses are higher. Maybe there's a reason their taxes are lower, right? Or yeah. maybe they have a Laura. That's in place, actually right? no, that's so, a, I, actually I, I I love this from the insurance perspective because you know I mean obviously we own an insurance agency as well, and so we, we really know a lot about how insurance works. And I think there's this misconception that the the past guy you know, was was paying $75,000 for insurance, so therefore, I'm gonna underwrite it to 75,000. Well, what people aren't realizing is that not only are insurance rates going through the roof, because it's just, it is what it is, carriers are a for-profit business, 
this guy might be part of a master schedule. Yeah. Right. Or they might be large. You know, they're black rock. They got a thousand properties. Yeah, they might have a thousand units, ten trillion in freaking assets under management. Whatever. They're going to get a better deal than you are. Right. So be careful with that. So you always need to validate your insurance. Yeah. So understand the story. Key takeaway. Right. There there could be a a, story to every deal. That's a huge thing that people don't validate. Taxes too. They might be artificially low for one reason or another. Right. You know. You need to understand that. They could also maybe just they're big and so they can keep their expenses low. Right. And so don't always just assume that whatever they're doing, that's what you're going to be able to step into. Yeah. Right. So. Understanding that story is huge. Yeah, and last but not least, contingency, right? What's the yep. goal of contingency? As we've learned the hard yep. way, right? Contingency and reserves can make or break a deal, right? Especially once there's choppiness. And so, you know, having ample reserves is really, really important, right? And people always ask, what is ample reserves, right? And I'd say, I mean, honestly, I've probably gotten to the point where I feel like eight months of your note and payment in full is, is you know, including escrows is uh, ample I'd, reserves, yeah, at least. I'd say, yeah, I'd say 12, Right, I mean, man. you know, it yeah, used yeah, to be yeah, two like, months, I think is what people uh, used to say, and I say it's at least 4X that. And, you know, we sleep much better at night knowing yes. the reserves that we have, right? Yeah. So. And, and don't get me wrong, folks. I mean, everybody made these mistakes when they got in, right? They either... You, you can barely raise the money and you're just kind of squeak by, you know, but if you can raise that additional capital, you're, you will, you and your LPs will sleep a lot better at night. And then, you know, five years down the road, you maybe go to refinance and you don't need any of the money. You can always give it back to them too. I think your LPs would appreciate that. Right. Yes. You know, um, last question, right. For multifamily properties, why is location a major part of assessing the attractiveness of a deal? And I just say, you know, some parts of the country are going to be growing better than others. Short right? answer is it makes your life a lot easier. Let's yeah, keep going. Yeah, I just, you know, you, well, you, you'd always like to have a little bit of wind at your sales, right? Yeah. So that's that's important. So uh, always look at the sub-market, stick to that box, right? You know, we've talked about your buy box before. So, so boom, that's we it. got through it. Money Mondays is every Monday, 3.30 Central. I know there's some questions that had come through, but other if you have questions, ask them. Otherwise, I know we're already over time, so let's keep going. All right. Okay. All right. So join us at the mentioned next this earlier conference. It's going to be the big one, folks. 800 people. It will sell out. So please book your ticket sooner than later. Yep. It gets more expensive each week on the week until it becomes a million dollars per ticket. So <laughs> make sure to book your ticket sooner than later. MFinvestorNetwork.com and use coupon code Disrupt to get a nice discount on it. Or let's get right now. The it's mfinvestornetwork.com slash Houston twenty twenty three. I think it'll automatically go there now. All right, all right. So and you maybe? get your two hundred dollars off with the pre-register sale. Yeah. So and definitely again, book they it. It should be a fun up. time. Come hang out with us, us and seven hundred and ninety eight of our friends. Man, ninety eight. That's pretty pretty specific. But we're well, gonna go with a, it. Us uh, plus that is eight hundred. That's that's, that's true. That's true. So, so Houston real estate investing holiday networking mixer. Oh my gosh, I can barely get that off my tongue. But it's gonna be a great time. We'll Come check it out. Funky Should, sweaters. Yeah, funky sweaters. I don't even Crazy own giveaways. one, so I'm going to have to get one of Ben's shirts. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> but, you know, ugly sweater contest. Come hang out with us. We're not going to present anything. We do no. do a lot of presentations. So Might do a here, raffle. Here Throw in that Houston, out there, our, You know, we do this the first Thursday of every single month. So we'd love to see you guys there. Come, you know, see us. Be there. Be square. Ooh. Hopefully we don't get... We don't so get when, is when is that? When is that? December 1st, 2022. So that's coming up in a few weeks after, obviously, Thanksgiving, folks. You know, but 7 p.m. Central Standard, if you're here in Houston, Wakefield Crowbar, it's out near the Heights, right? Uh, DisruptEquity.com slash HTX Meetup. 
We love doing these. Typically get 100, 150 people out there. It's always yeah. a, lot, a lot of fun. But what are we talking about next week, my friend? Do's and don'ts of partnership and multifamily. Oh, Learn from the mistakes oh I made I in choosing was, a partner. I knew it was coming. You knew it was coming? <laughs> so... No, I mean, you know, and there's good partnerships and bad, there and is, thankfully we is. have a good partnership, and we've seen people that have struggled, right? And so kind yeah. of talk through those, you know, and how things work and what to look for when trying to choose a good partner to grow. Yeah, so check that out. Excited about it. See you next week. All we right. do this every Monday, Monday at 3.30. 3.30 Central. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode on Disrupt Equities Apartment Investing Podcast. We have some really great episodes coming up, so make sure to subscribe to the podcast. For those interested in passively investing in cash-flowing multifamily properties, visit disruptequity.com invest. Fill out your information there, and you will get notified when we release our next multifamily passive investment offering.